All right. Welcome to episode 45 of Probably Polly, the podcast where we question everything, even our name. As always, I am your host, Michael Hang. And I am tonight's guest, Sinead Jackson Kendall. Why don't we just go ahead and dive right in and tell us a little bit about who you are, why you're going on podcasts and, and speaking, <laughs> and what we're speaking about tonight. Sure thing. My name is Sinead Jackson Kendall. I am a Black polyamorous activist, speaker, writer, and I am the co-founder of Black Poly Pride. Black Poly Pride is a four-day conference weekend wherein we celebrate Black people who are members of the polyamorous lifestyle. We celebrate people who love Black polyamorous people, and we welcome everyone who understands the need for marginalized groups to celebrate their place in such a often whitewashed culture. For people who need help understanding, I always say, all right, close your eyes and think of every news article you've ever heard or read about polyamory. And... And then ask yourself two questions. One, what did the photo look like? Nine times out of 10, the photo looks like those white feet all poking out under the bed. And then you ask yourself, okay, and how was polyamory depicted? I would bet my favorite pair of shoes on the fact that polyamory was depicted as a heterosexual man and two bisexual women, usually white and usually upper middle class. That is how polyamory is often portrayed. And that is why Black Poly Pride exists. Also usually decently attractive or above my normative Eurocentric standards. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's very monolithic the way that polyamory is portrayed. And our purpose, Black Poly Pride, is here to show that there are Black people who are living polyamorously and have been for quite some time. And some people will say the image maybe is it's intentionally whatever is the most palatable to the monoculture and that that's helpful for representation. But we know that that's not true from past times when we have not had diversity representation it has not gone well for the diverse members of the community as acceptance of the non-diverse members of the community has gone up. That's correct. Yeah, so it's people will say like, oh, well, that'll get us our foot in the door. Well, it won't for anyone else. Right. So you're leaving everybody behind. It'll get your foot in the door, maybe. <laughs> right. I, I've never really subscribed to that idea of a foot in the door. I think yeah. that any type of monolith is a bad thing. Yeah, I agree. So we need to show that polyamory is a diverse love style that looks like you, me, and everyone else. Um, and that it doesn't leave anyone out, not by the way they look, not by their cultural background, not by their socioeconomic status. That it truly is about how we love. Yeah. And so then this month is Black History Month. And so that that's why you chose it for Black Poly Pride Month as well? Or what's the... Right. So we are celebrating poly black history Mm -hmm. this month because a lot of times when the topic of, well, what's the history of polyamory? When that comes up, just like, you know, the present of polyamory, it's a very, very whitewashed background. Mm -hmm. And so what we're choosing to do this month, because it is Black History Month, is we're highlighting polyamory and polyamorous black people throughout the history, through in the present, and then who's taking taking us into the future. So we're kind of showing that Black people have been ethically non-monogamous for quite some time, even before we had the word polyamory. Right. And that's actually part of the reason why our community is so whitewashed, is because every community that wasn't mononormatively white had alternate relationship styles as part of their structure. And you didn't need a name to say, like, well, I'm Black and polyamorous, being Black was fine. But the, the only divergence from the monoculture that white polyamorous people have about us is that we're polyamorous. So we came up with that name 
name for it. <laughs> right. Now, exactly. And that's really when it comes down to it. One of the things that we're exploring throughout Poly Black History Month is we are looking and seeing, okay, what types of relating did we have in the past? And can we look at that? And can does that look like what our modern day polyamory looks like? Like, for instance, um, I always bring people's attention to the ethically non-monogamous lifestyle of the Black Panthers, right? Because they live this... Mm-hmm ethically non-monogamous there was no like monogamy it wasn't part of their culture and because that was well, before the word polyamory came into use in 1992 sure then people don't think of that as our history mm-hmm. but it absolutely is our history absolutely just because someone doesn't have a name for something doesn't mean they're not doing it and naming it doesn't mean you own it <laughs> So, you know, if now if only every white person in the world could understand that my job would be half done. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a that would be nice. I go ahead and ask this. Do you guys have a financial support link that we can put at the end of the podcast so that people can donate to this or? Absolutely, we do. So you can find out more about Black Poly Pride and you can donate. Donations are taken on the registration page. So if you go to www.blackpolypride.com slash registration, you can make a donation. And if you'd like to make a continuing donation, you can go to our Patreon, which is www.patreon.com slash blackpolypride. And of course, another way that you can support us is by attending our Pride Weekend. This year, it is in Washington, D.C., June 4th through the 7th. So that's a Thursday through a Sunday. And you can take a look at our website. It kind of uh, fleshes out for you what the weekend will be like. And you can register and bring a friend. Right. So I know this is going to be really ironic for me to say this. But one of the things that I have run into over and over when I ask the best way to support this kind of work is to donate and support black activists rather than white activists because there's lots of white voices already and as a show that's all white voices I feel bad about that but (laughs) so if you're only going to donate to some one person this year maybe consider donating to Black Poly Pride instead of to us for instance because that's really important to have the voices of the actual community being the advocates for that community. Right no that is it's very important to have black people telling black stories right and Mm -hmm. so one of the things that happens is that because of systemic oppression right all of the tools and the access to the things that you need. For instance, like you're able to run this podcast, right? You have mm-hmm. the, you have the technology, you have the know-how, you have the amount of free time relative to the amount of time you have to spend providing for yourself. All of those mm-hmm. things, you have all those resources that we're able to do a podcast. Sure. And I do too. And so because of that, that's one of the ways that I use my privilege to speak out mm-hmm. for people who don't have access to those resources, right? There are polyamorous Black people of every socio economic status and often that's something that's really misunderstood really black poly pride was born from the idea that it's not just white people shit like that was that (laughs) that is our tagline um but it's also not just rich people right so those are things that we're actively fighting against we want to show at our workshops and at our parties you will see a very diverse view of polyamory you'll see people of all colors ages socioeconomic status that are bound together by the way that we love. All right, so can I ask a little bit about, this is the sort of the flip side of that question that I often find tough as well, which is there was a lot of history of theorists that were not part of an oppressed group trying to theorize about what that group needed, and it always went poorly. So (laughs) men theorizing about what feminists needed, a lot of white people theorizing about black voices needed. So that's not good. We know that. That's what we were just talking about. But then also on the flip side, there's the issue where then people will just walk up to someone and say, hey, you're black and poly. Can you explain that experience to me? And then that's also 
also putting an onus on them that they don't have to live up to and that's a really unfair thing to make them a representation of that entire group. Of course. I think there are enough people who are putting themselves out there as a voice to say... I'm willing to speak about the Black experience as a polyamorous, right? And so there are myself and my co-founder and my colleagues, people who who Mm -hmm. put themselves up to say, I'm willing to speak about this. Those are the people that you go to. And not only do you go to them, but you pay them. (laughs) (laughs) It's just kind of, it's ask Black people about the Black experience and pay them to do so. It it really comes down to that is the way that Mm -hmm. you can amplify the voice, pay for the voice center the voice i am thankful that we have a culture wherein that culture is kind of changing Mm -hmm. no more do you just see white men and women when you look at the list of speakers for most conferences right you know if that happens please examine the conferences that you are attending if the speaker (laughs) if all of the speakers are white and cishet then you should look for more diverse conferences hint 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 yeah you want to to kind of spend your money and spend your time in places mm-hmm. that are trying to ampli- amplify a diverse voice. Great. So just I'm going to paraphrase back what I heard. It's a speaking tool I use. I'm not trying to change what you said, but I just want to make sure I got this right. Okay. So what you said is, yes, ask black people for the answers, but look for people who have volunteered to do that, not just random people. Right. And then pay them for the time that you're taking from that and donate to their cause. That's correct. Awesome. You know, don't walk up to randoms on the street. Go... <laughs> Google black polyamory, and if, yeah. I, I promise if you Google black polyamory, you will find people who get paid to talk about it. So speaking of that and speaking of conferences, there's also a concept that I think people often misunderstand that I would, I'd love your, your input on and your voice on, which is this idea that... Like you said, like if the conference has only white people, right? And then the conference will say something like, well, only white people applied as a response to that. You know, we didn't, we didn't advertise, you know, we would just put up call for speakers and we only got white people to apply to it. So there's a a concept that's, I think is fairly clear, which is that you have to do something to look for and make those spaces inviting to other groups if that they're not doing that and that you have an obligation to go beyond simply saying conference call open. Right. And actually reaching out to people and doing your best to make the offers to get them there if you can. That's correct. I would say that as a founder of a Pride Weekend and a conference where we're looking for speakers, every single speaker that is going to be at Black Poly Pride is not someone that just went to the website and submitted. Some people we actively sought out for the diversity of their voice. And not only do we seek out the diversity of their voice, but we look at their intersections and how they may be part of a marginalized group. And we do what is needed to get them to the conference, right? So perhaps this, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe the cishet white people can't afford to travel to the great beyond on their own dime to present at a conference. Sure. But perhaps the disabled black person can't do that. Mm -hmm. So what, what are we doing to provide equity? Right. What are we doing to to make sure that the faces that you as an institution are providing is diverse? And I think that we have an obligation to make that happen. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not a passive diversity. Inclusion is not a passive thing. Right. It is something to which you have to be di- devoted and invested. So you use your resources to make sure that it happens. Well, that's because we have to overcome the barriers that oppression puts in place. Right. So an open call isn't actually a fair call for everyone. It's a, like, as you said, it's a fair call for someone that can afford to get there. Right. Which is automatically a less fair call. And also it's a fair call for those who who see it, right? If you're yeah, a, if you're that's a, true. if you're a cishet white person and your entire circle is cishet white people, right. then no, 
you're not going to get any a diverse response to your call for speakers because there was no outreach to those to those speakers that were different from you. And we know that even just sharing in like all your poly spaces wouldn't be enough because we know that those are majorly exceptionally whitewashed, as you noted already. So it's not like you can just say, well, I put it in four or five poly groups. Well, OK, well, those groups are probably still 90, 95 percent white, et cetera. So it's not like it's reaching the number of people of the diverse different groups that we need the voices from when you do that. That's absolutely correct. I am one of the admins for a 15,000 plus member group of black and polyamorous people on the internet. So if you went searching, Mm -hmm. there is literally no way you could avoid finding me. Gotcha. So the idea, a simple, a simple Google search will reveal black and poly. Uh-huh. So if you're looking for black and poly people, you'll find it, but you have to look. That's really where the uh, metal meets the road, you know? That group you admin, is that just for black and poly people or is that for like allies as well? Or what's the, is that like a safe space for safer space? Black and poly is open to everyone. Okay. Black voices are centered in the group, but mm-hmm. all people are welcome to join. Great, I understand that. That structure. Cool. So that would be something good to do as well then for people to try and join that group and that'd be a place they could also post those calls and get feedback and voices. Absolutely. And if you if you are posting a call or need some assistance or want to look for black voices to participate, you can always reach out to the admin team. We have a public page where you can message us. Um, there are about 10 to 12 admins and we all have access to see these messages and these calls and we're and I know that we're accessible because we often do receive particularly academics academics often find us mm-hmm. with requests for you know studies or right. conversations uh, the press finds us if organizers are looking they too are able to find us that way all right that's great wonderful help for <laughs> people who are doing that now, during the Black History Month and the history of Black Poly, you guys are putting out, is it a post every day or what's the... Yeah, it's one post and sometimes on days that we're feeling just particularly benevolent to post. We're looking at people, organizations, works of art, literature, anything related to Black polyamory. So, for instance... Um, today's fact was about She's Gotta Have It, which is a film and Netflix series by Spike Lee, Mm -hmm. wherein the lead character is Nola Darling, who is ethically, or, you know, that's up for debate too. She's (laughs) non-monogamous. But the the whole point is that history is oftentimes complicated, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone's history. So we can definitely see that She's Gotta Have It is a portrayal of non-monogamy in the media, right? And then that opens up and begins conversation and that's what our intent is with Black Poly Pride, to continue to open up and to keep the conversation about Black people being polyamorous through the ages and keep that conversation going. That's great. Man, uh, I, sorry, I love, I was really into that show for like the first season of that show and like then not mm-hmm. so much the second season where as far as I can tell, Nola becomes monogamous. And I was curious on what your thoughts were, but I think that's probably way off topic, but it was just really... <laughs> hey, it's your podcast, right? You get to go off topic for a little while. I actually think I can understand why you feel like it got a little boring because she was in a monogamous relationship. But I think that brings out an important point, right? That your polyamorousness is an identity. 
Mm -hmm. And a polyamorous person can choose to participate in a monogamous union. Oh, for sure, yeah. Without themselves being monogamous, right? Well, and that wasn't my problem. It wasn't that she did it. It was that, at least at the beginning, and I got better after this ended, but that first relationship at the beginning of the season, it made it out like it was a like an ethically better choice. Like, I'm learning to commit. I'm learning to be, mm-hmm. like, an adult, responsible person. So, like, that was the, the part of it that I was like, well... <laughs> no, I agree. I agree that it's, it's per her non-monogamy is oftentimes portrayed as something negative when in fact Mm -hmm. all of the men that she's seeing as far as I can tell right from my perspective all the men that she's seeing know about each other they do yeah they definitely do so it's really whose decision is it then to continue in the relationship knowing that you are not the only person she's seeing well and definitely they're all seeing other people too every single one of the men that she is seeing we see with other people throughout the series despite complaining that she's with other people they're with other people Mm, absolutely yeah (laughs) So I think, so again, like just that series alone, it has, it breeds so much conversation around this idea of non-monogamy and how it's instituted in our culture, right? And She's Gotta Have It, the movie, right, came out many, many years ago. I think, I want to say, what, 30 years ago? I don't remember exactly when it came out, so don't quote me on that, y'all. But the conversation, no one thought of her as ethically non-monogamous at the time when She's Gotta Have It comes out. But through the cultural lens that we know, now have where polyamory is getting more attention you can see this is what she was doing she was dating other people who themselves were dating other people that's what polyamory is (laughs) yeah 1986 by the way was the movie okay so that means it's exactly 34 years old So as you noted, older than the title polyamory in any kind of usage. So Right. Yeah. And that was one interesting thing in the update is that when she's talking to her therapist, she actually self-identifies as polyamorous, like just the Mm -hmm. word straight out. And that word wasn't even around for the movie. So that there wasn't an identification of that in the movie. It was the behavior without the word. Exactly. And so that behavior without the word, I think the series comes full circle to Mm -hmm. kind of include everything that the original movie didn't know to include. Yeah. it's actually a really like cool conversation that it often brings up. Now there are some polyamorous who hate she's gotta have it, right? There's some I've encountered some people who say that it's a horrible portrayal of what polyamory is. Uh, I'm kind of ambivalent about it, but I just love the fact that it gets people talking. Well, it's a lot better than most media portrayals. Almost every media portrayal that I see is, it turns out there's a poly relationship and at some point in the plot line, you find out that at least one person really didn't want to be there, was pressured into it, was tricked into it, is actually miserable, is only there for whatever reason that, that, you know, and is somehow being objectified and used by the rest of the group in some negative way. So it's a lot better off than that. It's confused. It's, but I mean, a lot of polyamorous journeys were confused it's very real in that sense right and they still are and it's not always clear who's okay with what or what's being done like Mm -hmm. i think it's real and it shows some of the uncomfortable parts that exist in action in modern day polyamory yeah as a someone who's watching this as a, a white male man whatever it is also one of those things where you're watching it and going is this good or am i participating in some sort of black exploitation or you know that sort of thing so it's good mm-hmm. to for, for me to hear that you enjoy the show and you think the conversation it's starting is good because i feel a little bit less like it's a guilty pleasure and more like that's something okay that i can share and <laughs> right. I can definite I can definitely say that I believe it to be a much healthier portrayal of polyamory than the constant
innocent straight man to buy women in a white thruple. Yeah, that, that's very damaging. It's not even the most likely or even a very common occurrence, actually. It's not very common at all. I, I say all the time that my friend Evita and I, we, we always say, we preach the message that triads are polyamory 301. And people come in in a 101 level, 101 level and try to do polyamory 301. And it's just not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> Can you talk about more about why triads are extra hard or they're much more advanced than like, I mean, I'm not, I mean, I agree with you, but I'm really curious to hear your, your take on why. Okay, so my thought process is that if you've never seen your partner love someone else, you've never observed how they are loving someone else, for them to fall in love with someone else right directly in your face and for you to be privy to the ins and outs of every part of that relationship is asking for a disaster. I think that before you try to participate in a triad, you need to have experience with being in multiple relationships. You need to have experience with your partner being in multiple relationships. Hmm. I think that it's important to have kind of flexed your poly muscles a little bit. Having a two-way conversation is way different than having <laughs> a three-way conversation. Sure. And just the more people that you add to any kind of relationship configuration, the more difficult communication gets. Right. And so I think it's important to just have some practice before you try and participate in a more complicated structure right now if you have one partner and maybe if you have two partners that are not connected to each other and you kind of get your feet wet so to speak with polyamory i would suggest that over jumping in in a triad yeah that's actually really interesting it's a lot of things i hadn't thought too much about because i i tend to think that the reason people think triads are the easy thing to do that like why so many one-on-one people come in looking for it is they feel like they're going to be not jealous if they care about both of the other partners. And it's the opposite. And in fact, it's been, I have participated in quite a few, I would say successful triads that lasted, you know, up to five or so years. However, I would say that it's the exact opposite, that I, it has been my experience of double jealousy, that I'm jealous on both ends instead of not being jealous at all. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense because, yeah, like if they, if they go out and do something without you and you can't come, then you feel like, wow, everyone I care about is doing this fun thing and I'm just left out and I'm not part of it. And and if you think about the flip side of that, right, if you were dating someone separately from your spouse, if your spouse goes out on a date or your partner goes out on a date, you have your other partner to turn to and to spend time with. But when you're in a triad and those two people go out on a date, you are literally by yourself. Yeah, every single time. That's not a new to polyamorous kind of skill set. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, and the conversation was interesting too because we on this show at least all the time will tell people you should be trying to have your conversations as dyadic as possible. So if my first partner is mad about something that's happening between me and my second partner, that's a my first partner and me problem. It shouldn't be my second partner having to deal with my first partner. But if you're in a triad, that's just absolutely not true because it's actually a problem that they have with both of you. So you have to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. You can't act as that buffer zone. You have to navigate these very difficult three people in the room with three vantage points all trying to come to one conclusion right and even if for instance they're let's say your partner number one and your and then partner number three have an issue partner number two may not be a part of the issue but is definitely affected by it because you're in a relationship with both people so it really any additional complication just adds more difficulty 
And it's just like levels of a video game, right? You do the you do the easy levels before you advance sure. to higher levels. You don't go in trying to beat the boss. So yeah, I think the other thing people do like is is rushing. One of the things with relationships that's weird to me is that people are often on a relationship timeline. As much as you talk a lot in poly about getting off the relationship escalator, a lot of people are still on that escalator, and they're like, "Well, I gotta have this figured out by the time I'm 40, or I'm not gonna have kids, right, or something like that." And then that's their thought, which is, "Okay, well, I'm 24 now. I know." what I want as a triad. I don't want to earn my my time or try these different things. Like you said, stretch your poly muscles, build your poly muscles. I just want to figure out what my, get to my end game and then retire and get my multiple three-person marriage and start having my kids. And Right. And so a lot of people take that very monogamous viewpoint and then try to apply it to polyamorous situations. And anytime you come in with a mono lens, you're going to, you're not going to be happy with in polyamory. Yeah. I think that tracks. I think any time I've accident like I think every time I've had a major problem in polyamory I realize it's because I'm assuming something that I picked up in monogamy and didn't sort of reanalyze from a polyamorous lens at a later point right <laughs> and I would say that no matter how long you've been polyamorous or how long you've been practicing ethical non-monogamy you are constantly having to fight up against monogamous programming sure yeah absolutely it's it's all of your I've been polyamorous for over a decade and I still find myself having to like to eke out those traits of monogamy. Well, I mean, not only is it all of your background, it's every story you ever read growing up. It's still every story you ever see. It's still all of your family's background, probably. Most of your friends' background, probably. So, like, you're still getting inundated with it constantly. So, whenever you're not paying attention, it starts trying to reprogram you and say, back to this, back to these monogamous scripts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. 5% of people in America are supposed to be polyamorous or ethically non-monogamous now. I'm really curious when you have multiple generations of kids coming from ethically non-monogamous homes what growing up in that space is like but I mean they're still going to get scripts from everywhere else but that's one of the things that we're actually hoping to explore at Black Poly Pride is um, the generational we're going to have some polywogs for those of you who don't know (laughs) that term a polywog is a child that was raised in a polyamorous household and now identifies as polyamorous themselves Uh. so we're hoping to have some generationally polyamorous people do some classes and talk to us about what that experience was like and how it shaped their life. That's really cool. I had not heard that term before, although I do know that there's not really good research on polyamorous families, but I I had heard that there's no significant or not as high as you'd think correlation between being raised in a polyamorous family and becoming polyamorous, that the kids are just as likely more or less to go to monogamy as they are to polyamory. That's correct. That has been um, the the findings of the research. It has a small pool that was not at all diverse, right? (laughs) Sure. But the research even acknowledges that. Right. Yeah, yeah. But in the findings that it was found that there is no like indicator that polyamorous households are more likely to raise polyamorous children. And that makes a lot of sense because they get to be upfront and personal with all the extra drama. And <laughs> exactly. Difficulty engaged they're in. And all children like to rebel against their parents and be different. Right. Whatever your parents were, just be the opposite. <laughs> right. Like my parents wore bell bottom jeans. And so my group never did. But now the kids after us are wearing bell bottom jeans because we never did. <laughs> right. Just to rebel against that. So how long ago did you start Black Poly Pride? So we are in our second year. Uh Last year was our inaugural year and Black Poly Pride was held in Dallas, Texas in July. So this is our second year um, in operation and we're really excited to go to Washington, D.C. in the first week of June. Yeah, that's cool. I've never actually been to a Pride thing anywhere of any kind because I don't do crowds have trouble with loud noises, crowds, lots of people, too much sunshine, etc. 
So understood. I like the photos, but I'm not really a participant. But that sounds really exciting. Yeah, we're excited. We'd like to say that we try to party as hard as we work, um, and work as hard as we party. So we kind of have Friday and Saturday is like a full day of conferences, workshops, and panels. And then we have over the course of the weekend, we'll have six social events. One of which includes our annual Poly Pool Loser, which is this awesome pool party. We're hoping to have uh, a couple of parties and then after parties. So there's like a little bit of something for everyone, no matter what you're into. Nice. And so to clarify, despite the name Black Poly Pride, it's not like a pride parade or an outside kind of, it's like a conference? So that's correct. It's not like a pride parade. It's a week, it's a conference and a turn up. So, (laughs) um, so Friday, like imagine that during the day we're a conference and at night we're a series of parties. Okay. And you know how like all conference have like social activities? Sure. This is not that. This is party bus, black lights, glow pool party, all out like party. This is a party. I'm going to be honest. If you're only going to go to one conference this year, this one sounds like the most fun. So (laughs) maybe go to this one. (laughs) We are absolutely committed to having a really, really good time. And you can check us out if you go to www.blackpolypride.com and look at the pictures from last year. You'll see that we had an incredible time and you you won't see a sour face in the bunch. Everyone had a really good time. Mandy's going to kill me later. I've been like, go to this conference. This is great. And she runs a conference. uh, (laughs) Right. Well, I'll be at hers, so hopefully she'll be at mine, too. (laughs) That's awesome. Are you a speaker there? Well, I I submitted, so we'll see. So we don't know yet? Yes, we don't know yet. We'll see. (laughs) All right. Well, cool. I don't want to say anything because I don't want to be weird because since I know the person who runs it, so I don't want to be like, fingers crossed. That'll be be a little weird. But you know what? I'm just, I'll say it. Fingers crossed. Nice. We're here in Atlanta, so I hope that I will be, either way, I'll be there. Let's put it that way. Oh, you're in Atlanta? Yeah, I am. Oh, that's awesome. I have had a lot of fun visiting Atlanta the last few years to go to conferences, so I'm very excited to be able to come back this year, I hope. Yeah, I'm taking, I like to take the spirit of party and and just take it all over the country and dispense it with Black Poly Pride. We have a very strong sense of party here. (laughs) So is there anything that I haven't asked that you were hoping to get to be able to say about, well, I guess really anything, but specifically the Black Poly Pride month or the conference itself? No, I think we hit it all. All right, great. That's pretty good. I'm feeling pretty good about that then. You did it all by yourself, too. Aw. Yay. (laughs) I don't know. How hard is that? Is that hard to do? I don't know. See, I'm trying to make sure that I, like, hit my little bullet points. And I think I did. Cool. Can I do just a little, like, how to find us on the web blurb to put at the end? Sure, if you'd like to. Um, I'm also going to put all of the... If you'll send me whatever links you'd like to send me, and that like, just use my email and send me all the links you want. I'll put all the links you want in the description in both the... In all the places where I post it. So... Perfect. I mean, you can do the the verbally, but I find most people are just going to click through the links and not... Oh, yeah. I'll send it to you. No problem. (laughs) Not, like, try and spell it back out. But anything you want to do that'll help promote it, by all means, go for it. No, I'm I'm just going to send you everything we had. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon. Okay. Um, Oh, and our our website. Sure. I really appreciate you having me on. Especially, I know, like, there's, like, a lot going on with everybody right now. So I appreciate the effort. I know you just got off work and all that stuff. Well, and I appreciate you coming on. This is really important work, and we're glad someone's doing it. Thank you. I appreciate that. You've been great, and it's been wonderful. 
wonderful to have you on. And if I can make a second conference this year, I'm going to try and make it that one, I think. Yes, you would enjoy it. We'll have a good time. I'm sure I would. We have lots of introverts. So we have some activities that are like sit quietly and watch a movie with people that like are like you. So we do have awesome. introvert friendly activities. Introvert parties. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right, Michael, have a good night. You too. Bye-bye.